um, I'm Amelia, and I will be doing the scripture reading today. It's found in Revelation 20. And I saw the angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon and the old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till after the, till after the thousand years be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw the throne, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witnesses of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Jesus Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years were expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and they shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Mahog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth, and compassed the camps of the saints about in the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil deceived them that was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, for whose face and earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of these things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell were delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. worship you and just get to praise you. Uh, I pray that we will just know that you are the king of kings and the lord of lords and you are the high king. You are the uh, the king and you are the rightful judge. And I pray that we will know Afraid of death, the 
because you have given us hope of and I pray that we would hear the message and we would understand and know more about you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Ellen. Um, <laughs> having uh, having these students read, or even anybody get up here and read from the Book of Revelation, uh, it's quite quite a tall order. So I've been uh, really impressed, and encouraged. Um, if you're if you're new here, um, this is your first time. We have been working our way through the Book of Revelation. We were that brave or that foolish. I don't know. Um, we sensed from the Lord it was a book uh, that was very timely, and I can just speak from my own personal experience and tell you that uh, this book has been really helpful to me, uh, especially in the season we have found ourselves. These last couple of years have been a little bit, uh, a little bit of turbulence, would you say, and and a little bit of uncertainty and just some things that have been stirred up, and it's just good to know where we're headed in the midst of the uncertainty and the confusions and the doubts and the chaos. We know where we're headed. And God was gracious enough to give us the book of Revelation to reveal that. And when I think about the book of Revelation, as crazy as it can be, and all the symbolism and all the things that are there, and all, all these um, vicious moments where there's judgment, and these other moments where it's like, I don't even really know what's going on here, right? Um, who, who are these people, and what, what's happening? Um, we, c- we can remember that we keep the plain things, the main things, and the main things, the plain things, right? And so we kind of sort through all that. We're not going to understand every little bit of it, um, but we've talked about it as we've gone. In fact, even in these messages, we can't cover all that's in these passages. But we can see some key pieces that God is speaking to us that will speak life and encouragement into us. And so I hope that that's what you experience today. Um, as my wife said this week, there was, a, there was a sense and there was some spiritual, I don't know, just some spiritual attack. And, and you guys probably feel that at times if, if you're sensitive to the Spirit. If, if, that, if you're a believer in the room and the Holy Spirit's in you, there's just seasons you feel like, okay, like the enemy's coming against me. He's trying to resist where we're headed. And I always see that as a good thing because that means I must be going the right direction, right? He's like, I want to oppose that. I want to stop that. I want to cut that off. So I just say, Lord, that's a great opportunity for me to press into him, uh, to press into God through prayer and through seeking his help because if it's up to me, I'm going to fail every time. But thankfully, I've got God's spirit at work in my life and uh, in his power. And as we sing about this morning, that that resurrection power is at work in me today and in you, if you're a believer in Christ. Um, But we are people of hope and we are people who need hope. We operate and run um, the fuel of our lives is hope. And uh, it's funny because even in very simplistic ways, I see this Um, one yesterday. My wife, she grew up on the farm. Anybody else grow up on the farm? I'm just going to say right now, marrying a farm girl was one of the most important and most uh, brilliant things I ever did. Um, Because farm girls are hardworking girls, and they get stuff done. But for her, a relaxing Saturday means we all go outside and work all out and sweat and toil in the yard, okay? That's what she sees as relaxing. Um, (laughs) See, she's like not even disagreeing. She's she's like laughing about it. She gets giddy when we say we're going to work on the yard. Um... And so yesterday we did some of that in her honor after I watched my beloved Longhorns totally blow a terrible. I had to say it, it was terrible. I know. I had, to, I had to repent of my idolatry of the Longhorns um, yesterday because I was way in the dumps. And that's just, that's just bad, you know. It's like, it's like but anyway, 
Um, we're not going to mention the other team from out uh, around east, uh, but anyway. Um, <laughs> yes, I, I heard that, <laughs> and I'm not repeating it. <laughs> um, so, but here's here's what I got to tell you. It was a funny story that one of our our neighbors across the street uh, two days ago brought us an ice cream cake, and uh, and we we like sweets in our house, and we especially like ice cream. But they brought us this ice cream cake to say thank you for something we had done for them, and that just, they just, it was really kind. My kids knew the ice cream cake was in the freezer, and they had just been pleading for this ice cream cake. So what does a good parent do? A good parent uses something that they really want to motivate them to get them to do something they don't want to do, right? So what we did is we said, here's the thing. We're going to go clean up the yard, and when we finish cleaning up the yard, then you can have the ice cream cake. And... That kind of got them excited, you know? It was like, okay, let's do this. So they all go out. But several occasions, I came into the garage, and I found a kid opening the ice and looking to make sure it was still in there. Just to check to make sure that the ice cream cake had not departed, right? Somebody hadn't gotten into it early or anything like that. And I just thought about that. It's funny because, first off, they were motivated by the thought that I'm going to get this ice cream cake when we finish the job, and this, is, this job is not a job I want to do, and I'm out there, out there sweating, getting dirty, and all this other stuff. But then they also needed those little peaks just to keep going. And I was, I was thinking, like, that's, that's, that's the human heart. Like, we, we need hope that there's going to be a payoff <laughs> in the end. And we need regular reminders. It's still there. Yes, it's still there. And it, it just fits with, uh, even today, as we get towards the end of Revelation, that we have this hope, we have this, this knowledge that it's going to happen. And periodically, we need to come back and read this and go, okay, the end of the story. All right, I'm not going to lose sight. I'm not going to lose hope. It's still there. The payoff's still coming. Ice cream cake is going to happen. <laughs> All right? It's still coming. And, and so, so sometimes we need that. I also thought this week, it's funny, we, talk, we titled this series The Returning King, but you guys probably know of uh, Tolkien's work, The Return of the King, right? And uh, he talks a lot about how that, um, that these mythological stories and stories that are made, they, they actually are founded in truth, grounded in truth. And, of course, he was a believer, <coughs> so he's definitely speaking about truths from, um, from God's word and thinking about the book of Revelation and the return. But if, if anybody out there, like Lord of the Rings, <coughs> excuse me, in, this is from the yard yesterday, just letting you know. <laughs> she said, we're going to lead worship together. Let's go work in the yard and get allergies. Um, <laughs> so Tolkien, uh, you know, if, if anybody Tolkien, Tolkien fans, like watched all the Lord, surely, right? There's some people in the room. You, get, you know, it, it's, it's amazing. It's one of the, the best trilogies of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and uh, there's this moment in The Return of the King where, you know, Gandalf's having this conversation with evil, right, and, and it seems like it's all lost, it's all over, it's doom, it's gloom, and then all of a sudden you hear these horns in the background, and the army shows up, and it's like, yes, it's awesome, you see light breaking through, you see the, the army, and then you just see them, like, start riding, they give this little call, and then they just start riding, and they just start taking out all the orcs, you know, it's like, and it's like awesome, and I'm just like cheering, man. I'm like, I had to go watch it this week and got all fired up about it, right? Because I know that the battle is going to end in victory. Because God's word says, and God always keeps his promises. Kids, you can always trust God. He always keeps his promises. Always. 
And if he says there's going to be ice cream cake, at the end of the story, there's going to be ice cream cake, right? But it's going to be way better than ice cream cake. It's going to be eternal salvation with the one we were created by and created for. And it's an awesome thought that that's what's going to happen. So I want to move quickly this morning. I don't, I don't want to be geeky and, and um, just get bogged down in theology, but this is, if you notice in this passage, six times he uses the word thousand years. So anytime you see something show up that, time, that much, you need to like stop and say, okay, why is that thousand years, thousand years, thousand years? So we, you hear this term millennial, millennium, um, and, and some millennia. I, I don't even know which one's the right, but millennium uh, is the way I say it. And so in that, we have this um, view that there is going to be a thousand-year reign of Jesus. And just, just so you know, there are people who differ on, on what this is. There are people who, who differ on how they view this thousand-year reign. So some people have what we would call a post-millennial view. And that's this view simply that Christ, his reign is spiritual and that it's uh, going to happen through, his, through the gospel spreading throughout the whole earth case, and that they believe that it's ushered in by the proclamation of the gospel of the church, and, and then Christ would turn, would, would turn, would come back after a thousand years of that, all right? And so the idea in this is that, um, you know, it's real hopeful that this millennium is going to happen, and, and, then, and, then, and then Christ is going to return, and we're going to participate in that. Uh, I, I see two primary problems with that personally, and that the passage that follows Revelation 19, which says Christ has already come back. So that would mean, wait, has he come back or he not come back? So I think it just in terms of the timeline, he's already come back. So there's a problem, I think, with saying it's post-millennial. He comes after the thousand years. And then I think the passage clearly speaks to a physical reign of Jesus on the earth. It doesn't just talk about a spiritual reign, but a physical reign of Jesus on the earth. Um, I do believe that the gospel will be preached in all the earth before Jesus returns. Because Matthew 24, 14, remember, Jesus says the gospel will be preached in the whole earth and then the end will come. If you don't know that verse, Matthew 24, by the way, works really well with Revelation. Because Jesus is talking about what's going to happen in the end. The second view is one called amillennial, which is an idea that there's really no such thing as a literal millennium. uh, That it's really not a literal thousand years. And so this is the idea that Christ is reigning through the church and that simply um, one day he'll, he'll come back, right? So, like, um, this seems to disregard the thousand years that's in the passage multiple times. It, it feels that way. It feels like it's kind of ignoring the thousand years, thousand years, thousand years. Um, it's taught there. It also seems to be inconsistent with the fact that Satan, I, I would just say to you guys, if, if, if this thousand years has already started and it's really not a thousand years, it's just a, it's just a period of the church, um, it, in this passage it says Satan will be bound. I just got to tell you, I don't think Satan's bound. <laughs> I mean, I could, <laughs> I don't think I'm wrong on this, right? It seems he, he is alive and well. He's working in the world. He's having influence and impact in the world in which we live. And so I think this passage speaks to the fact that there is um, Satan working. So, again, I want to get bogged down on this, but this is two of the views. And then the, the third view that, that seems to make sense from this passage and from the way we've worked through Revelation is this view is that Christ returns before the millennium starts, that he sets up a literal kingdom on the earth physical and he reigns for a thousand years with those that are who come with him okay and i believe that it's prophesied in the old testament remember i, I said if book of revelation is better understood if you have an if you have an understanding of the old testament if you know what the old testament says 
Look at Psalm 2. Look at Psalm 72. Write those down this week and go look at them. And they speak to the fact that there is a, um, a, a, a literal rule of King Jesus coming. Isaiah 11, verses 3 through 4, speak to kind of the justice of the king coming. Uh, Zechariah 14, chapter, verses 3 and 4. So I know I'm just spitting these out to you. You can go read them for yourself. I'm not going to read them all to you this morning for time. But they speak to this king that's going to come and have a rule and a reign on the earth where there's going to be justice. In fact, um, I just, just for a second, I have to read Isaiah 11. I, I just have to. Um, I said I wasn't going to read them all, but Isaiah 11, 3 through 4. Just listen to what it says here. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears, but he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with discipline from his mouth, and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. What I love is that if anybody in here is fed up with injustice, there's a day coming when it will be done away with. Like, that's hope-filled, right? I'm so glad. I'm so glad that men and women and children will not be taken advantage of one day in the future, that Jesus will make that right and will bring that to an end. And some of you are fighting for justice causes. Let me tell you, the ultimate proponent for justice is Jesus. And he's going to one day make that right as king over all things. So when we are actually doing acts of justice, we're just joining in his work that he's eventually going to accomplish in full, which I love. He's going to take care of the poor. He's going to take care of the widow. He's going to take care of those who are in need. He's going to take care of those who are hurting and being oppressed in our world. That's the kind of king we serve. That's the kind of king Jesus is. So it's consistent also with what Jesus tells his, uh, his disciples in Acts chapter 1. I don't know if you guys know this, but before Jesus leaves, some of you are familiar with Acts 1. It's the last little snippet we get. And he's talking to his disciples, and, and, and he, he departs, and then the angels there, they... Uh, the, the disciples are kind of just dumbfounded by the fact that Jesus has just gone into, the, to, he's ascended, and they're just standing there looking at the sky. It's kind of funny, right? Um, because I can imagine, they're like, did that, did that just happen? Like, he's gone, now what, you know? And he'd given them instructions, but if you read verses 7 and 8 in cha- Acts chapter 1, it says, um, Jesus is talking there to them. He says, it is not for you to know the times or the periods, but, but which, by the way, they asked him the question. They said, so when they had come together, they asked, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? So they were still wanting the king, uh, the, they would have wanted their, their Israelites, these Jewish people, they wanted to be out from under the oppression of the Romans, okay, if you know much about that season. Uh, they were under this impression, oppression, and they wanted to know, are you going to restore the kingdom now? Notice what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't say, oh, you guys are just silly. You're foolish. Why are you still talking about that? He says, it is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. So what he's, he's saying that there is going to be a rule. I believe he's saying that there is going to. He doesn't cor- correct them or reprimand them. He says, but there is going to be a rule and reign coming. And I think in the world in which we live, um, I'm excited about that. To just repeat that again, I'm excited about that. It is the most logical way to read the passage to see that Jesus is going to come and rule and reign as king for a thousand years. And there's really some marks of that time that I want us to land on today as we kind of close out uh, the, the next part of our teaching here. Is in light of that fact that Jesus is going to come back, what is it going to look like? What, what will it be like when Jesus is king, when he actually comes back to rule and to reign? Notice that I've already alluded to it once. Satan is bound. Our enemy... Cause him 
the, 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 the devil, he calls him uh, the serp- that ancient serpent. Where do we know that from? Genesis 1, right? Or Gen- Genesis 3. Not Genesis 1, but Genesis 3 when he's there as the deceiver, right? And deceives Eve into eating the fruit. And he's the serpent is how he's described. So it says that he will be bound. He will be dealt with. He will be judged. Man, I'm excited about that. Because the Bible says that he is a deceiver. And not only that, but that he is an accuser. And every one of us in this room have fell prey to that. Those two things right there. He has deceived us into thinking there was something outside of God that was better than God. And two, he has accused us, and so we've walked in shame and guilt and fear. Can I tell you how many men that I interact with on a regular basis that just are so bound up in shame and guilt and fear? Because the enemy is in their ear. If you are a child of God, you have been set free from fear and shame and guilt because you are forgiven in Christ, right? We have conviction that comes, and we should get disciplined when we walk in disobedience, but we are not like walking around with our heads down. Like, I'm so bad. We are sons of the Most High God. He loves us. He's for us. He's with us. So in that, just just have to to say that Satan is bound. Uh, You know, here's the thing, though. We see that he's still, in the wor- he's still at work in the world today. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. It's a verse I learned when I was just pretty young, probably like middle school. And it says that there that he is like a, a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's how he is as this accuser and this deceiver. And in our lives, are we aware, you know, that he's doing that? But thankfully, one day he will no longer be able to do that. The second thing you notice is that there's this first resurrection, you know. There's this, this first resurrection of these people who, who are brought back to reign with Jesus. Um, it's really awesome to think about that God's people who've been walking with him, not only will they seek Jesus bring justice, but they'll be a part ushering in justice and ruling the, the world with justice and grace and, and compassion and truth. And I, I, I love the way that in this passage, he, we're reminded of that truth. And so it's one of the marks of the, the new, the thousand-year reign of Jesus is that people will be involved in that. Those who have, have, have it even says there, it says those that have been beheaded for the sake of following Jesus. And it's hard for me, can I just be honest, it's hard for me to think that right now, today, there will probably be people on planet Earth who are beheaded for their faith in Jesus. But that's happening. You go to the Middle East right now, that's happening. You go to Afghanistan, you go to Iran, you go to places. We know those stories are happening. But one day those people, they're going to be honored. They're going to be joining Jesus to rule the nations. And then thirdly, I've already said it, but I'll say it again. Notice the thrones, the kingship of Jesus. We said when Jesus came the first time, he was this little baby in a manger, helpless, needing his mom, just like any of our babies would. When he comes back, <laughs> he's coming back as the righteous king with a sword coming out of his mouth, a tattoo on his thigh, right? So there's a reason to get a tattoo. No, just kidding. Um, he is going to be a legit warrior king. And you're not going to be like, uh, who's that? Like, it's going to be obvious on a white horse coming to judge humanity and unrighteousness in the world. Like, that's King Jesus coming. And I'm so thankful 
for that. I'm so thankful for that because the fact that he's doing that will continue to bring the restoration of all the things that are broken in the world. He's talking about Tolkien and how he says, you know, like the hope, and he kind of paints this picture of the hope. One of the lines that, that's there is it says, everything is sad will come untrue. When Jesus rules, everything that is sad will come untrue. Anything made you sad this week? Kids, anything make you sad? I bet, right? Thankfully, one day, everything that's made us sad will come untrue. Everything that's broken in the world will be restored and fixed. Notice the first thing, that's the first person that's judged. The first person that's judged is Satan himself. So he's right off the top. He's getting, he's getting judged, and he's getting dealt with. He's getting thrown into the lake of fire. And that's what God says. Is like he is serious about what he has done and the offenses he's committed and the ways he has hurt people, the way that he has damaged people's lives, destroyed people. And he has called people away from worshiping God to worship himself. And so we see that. Um, I thought of it this week that Tony Evans, anybody know who Tony Evans is? He's a great Bible teacher. He said, it, it just in coordination with that First Peter 5 passage where you know, he, the enemy is a, a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And he comes and he gets in our ear and he accuses us and he deceives us. And Tony Evans, this is what he always says. I, I think I heard this for the first time when I was a young, uh, young adult, and I was like, I needed that. He says, when the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? When he reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. Because where he is headed is eternal destruction. But then you noticed that in the passage, it also says that all humanity will be judged. All humanity will be judged. Um, Anybody nervous about that? Maybe. Maybe a little bit. It's okay. Because we don't really know sometimes what that means. But notice he says that there's some books. And I think this is important for us to remember. The first is, is in the Hebrew language there. It literally is multiple books. And then he says there is a book called the book of life. The first books are the books of works. And they have recorded in them everything that we have done, good or bad. Wow, that's why there's books, right? So humanity is brought before King Jesus' throne, and all of the works of people are recorded in those books. You know, anybody nervous? <laughs> now, here's the thing. We live in a world where people all the time say, I'm going to go to heaven one day when I die because my good works outweigh my bad works. I just wanted to, to, to you to know this. It doesn't work that way. If there is one bad work listed on your account, you have offended God, you have rebelled against him, and you are worthy of punishment, right? You're like, I don't know. Yes, that's what the scripture says. That's what it says, that if you've done one bad thing, one evil thing, it doesn't matter. You don't, there's no scale system. You're not going to get to heaven. He's going to go, okay, let's put your good works over here, your bad works over here. All right, hopefully those good works are slightly better. No, it's not going to be how it works. Those works are there. And if that was the case, I mean, listen, I, I've, I've been in different parts of the world, and I've talked with people of different religions, and really, if you, if you want to boil it down, many of the world religions have this view of their God, that they're basically trying to do enough good stuff to make up for the bad stuff so they can get in, they can get accepted, they can get, uh, you know, entrance into eternal paradise. And when I've asked the question, even in Indonesia, to devout Muslims, 
do you ever feel like you'll, you'll do enough? They always tell me, no. I just don't know. I just can never know. And my heart breaks in that moment. I literally look at them, and I, I can't help but even like start to just tear up because I see in them the hopelessness and the helplessness of trying to climb a moral ladder to get to God, never feeling like they could ever measure up and do it. I mean, they have these pillars, even if they did all, I'm not just criticizing Muslims because it's not just Muslims, but there are Christians living this way, by the way. They're doing the moral ladder thing and thinking, if I just get good enough, if I pray enough, if I read my Bible enough, if I tell enough people about Jesus, if I do enough, if I give enough money to the church, like, listen, all of our righteous deeds are filthy rags before a holy God is what the scripture says. Meaning that they're never enough to close the gap between God's holiness and our sinfulness. But that's not the only books brought out here, guys. There's a book called the Book of Life. And the Book of Life is the book that says, if your name is in this book, you are acquitted. You are forgiven. You are free. You are under the blood of Jesus. The punishment that you deserve for those works has been paid for on Jesus Christ. That's what I needed to hear this morning. Not that all my works are going to you know, condemn me, but that by God's grace, he reached down and said, you are condemned, but I choose you anyway. You are my enemy. You have rebelled. You have resisted. You have rejected. You have bought the lies. You have bought the accusations. And yet I still love you. And the only way you're getting into my kingdom is because you are under the, my blood. And all through the book of Revelation, it has said that. So what do we do that with that today? Here's what we do with that. We celebrate First off, that we are God's people, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done. Because it's not our stuff that's going to get us in. It's Christ's perfection. And we put our ultimate hope in King Jesus. And we, we say, Jesus, help us to not forget that it's not about us. That it is about what you have done who you are. We put our confidence, the, the, the Bible uses this word repent, we, we turn from putting our trust in ourselves, in all of our works, and we put our trust in Jesus, and we celebrate him, and we have confidence in that. Now, this is really, really good news today, guys. In fact, that's why we call this the gospel, and I need to hear this even though I've been a Christian for 40 years, because I forget this every single day. I have gospel amnesia every single day, and I start trying to earn my way back to Jesus. I try to add to what he's already done, and I can't. You can't. It's because I was talking with one of my sons last night. I was just saying, like, isn't it awesome to know that we don't have to try to measure up to some standard that we'll never measure up to? But because Christ has been the standard for us, we now get to live a life that honors him and blesses him and blesses others. So I don't, I don't know where you are today, but my guess is some of you are on a treadmill of good works. Um, or maybe you're just, you know, treading water of morality. <laughs> and I just want to remind you today, there is, there is no hope apart from Jesus. But in Jesus, there is hope. And I love that we already read in, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, it says, I will not blot out their names from the book of life. And 
what that, of course, means is that we didn't earn our way into it, and we won't earn our way out of it. <laughs> He's not going to erase us because he chose us before the foundations of the world were laid to be his children. Now, that's a whole other message for another day, okay? Which is, but it's awesome to think. So, I just want, want to just ask you guys to close your eyes for just a minute as we transition here. And maybe you need to ask yourself that question. Have I been trying to earn what has already been gifted to me in Christ? Because maybe, maybe that's, that's where you are. Um, this morning... You can rest deeply if you are in Christ. You can rest deeply and know that he loves you and that you're forgiven if you are in Christ. And to be in Christ simply means this. You say, Jesus, I receive the gift of what you did on the cross to pay for my sin. And I say, Jesus, you are going to be king of my life. And if you're a Christ follower already, maybe this morning again, you just need to take a minute and say, please forgive me for trying to add to what you've already made complete, Jesus. And also, it may be that this morning, some of us know people in our lives who God's been stirring us to tell this message because we can tell that they are struggling. They're, they're treading water. They're they're still trying to earn their way in. We get to declare that to them. We get to tell them about it. Maybe God's given us today a nudge to be bold and to share, to be loving and share. So wherever you are today um, in your walk with the Lord, uh, I pray that you would know right now the power of his presence and his love because his, his love is awesome and is good. I'm going to invite you just in the next few minutes here. We're going we're gonna to sing another song together. But I want you to um, just take a minute and listen to the Lord. Uh, that might be new for you. But um, I said this earlier. If, you know, just God wants to speak to each one of us, and I believe he is speaking. Um, so as you just listen to what he has to say to you personally. And... Um, and then just respond. Whatever he's at leading you to do, obey and respond to that. And if God is stirring something specifically in you to share with the congregation today, then we invite you to do that as well. Um, just come find uh, one of our elders, Tim or Aaron over here. We would love to, to have you share. But um, let's, let's not leave this moment without dealing with what God's saying to us.